Hey there, freedom-loving carnivores. It's Jeff Dornick from Freedom First Network, and I've got a message for you. Are you tired of feeling like your beef choices are under siege? Well, fellow patriots, it's time to fight back with Prepper All Naturals. That's right, folks. In a world where the beef industry is under constant attack, Prepper All Naturals is here to stand tall and proud as a veteran-owned beacon of quality, taste, and freedom. When the guys at Prepper All Natural set out to provide you with the finest beef products, they knew they had a duty to defend America's beef legacy, and that's why we're proud to partner with them, bringing you the best of what this great land has to offer. Whether it's their succulent freeze-dried beef cubes or their premium freezer boxes packed with steaks and roasts, we're redefining what it means to enjoy beef today and tomorrow. And let me tell you folks, their freeze-dried beef isn't just delicious, it's built to last. With proper stores, their beef cubes can maintain their quality and freshness for up to a decade, ensuring you'll never have to compromise on taste or nutrition. But wait, there's more. They're not just in the business of selling beef. They're in the business of defending freedom. That's why they promise to never sell you anything less than 100% all-American natural beef. No lab-grown imposters, no experimental jabs, and certainly no compromises with the woke agenda. So, fellow beef enthusiasts, join us in our mission to protect America's beef legacy. Visit freedomfirstbeef.com and use code FFM for 15% off your order. Because when you choose Prepper All Naturals, you're not just eating well today, you're eating well tomorrow. And together... We'll ensure that beef remains a symbol of freedom for generations to come. Prep for all naturals, where beef meets freedom. As most of you know, I have suffered through the, well, I guess you could say the good and the bad of, of being a resident here in California. We have great weather and way too many regulations. We've got some really amazing people. And then one of the worst governors I've ever heard of in my life. We have a legislature that doesn't really know what they're doing. And when they do, try to do something it's usually very horrible which is why i'm very pleased and honored to have our next guest coming on he is the president of raimondo and associates a high-standing law firm uh, and team of attorneys providing a range of legal services to businesses and individuals out here in california um it is i didn't tell him this before bringing him on but i might have to hit him up and become a client of his uh, here, here soon, depending upon if the hammer starts coming down on me. We are very pleased, blessed, and honored to have Anthony Raimondon joining us today. Anthony, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Very good. And I had <clears throat> I had introed you as Ramondin because that's what it says here. I'm assuming that it's Ramondo. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, the worst thing that you can ever do is mispronounce a guest's name, especially in the beginning. We actually have one of our show hosts who was, um, you know, he was... He was uh, interviewing me in episode approximately 50 of his show, and his co-host and I had always called him Dr. Michael Schuer. And one time he introducing himself to a guest, and he says, he says, I'm Dr. Michael Schuer. And me and uh, Colonel Mike were like, wow, wait a second. Who's Dr. Michael Schuer? We've always called just Schuer for the last 50 episodes. Turns out that we were wrong, and he never said a word. So thank you for your patience. So we're bringing you on today to talk about, obviously, California, but perhaps more importantly, something that's of, of general interest to all Americans is this whole PCR test thing. It's been the predicate for pretty much everything. It, people have talked about lockdowns. They've talked about all the mandates. The they're, they're now talking about vaccine passports. They've shown us numbers that are based upon these PCR tests. And very few people have, have actually stood up and said, hey, wait a second. 
we have questions about these and about the results they're delivering. You've done your own research. What have you learned? Well, one of the things that I've learned is how shocking it is that this PCR test is really not even a test. Its inventor was a guy named Kerry Mullins, who was a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Uh, and he himself actually tangled quite a bit with our good friend, Dr. Fauci. He called Fauci a fraud. And he was persistent that his invention, the PCR assay, is not a test. It is not a diagnostic tool. And it was never intended to be used as a diagnostic tool. Uh, and it's been misused since the time of its invention. And of course, most notably in this pandemic as a tool to diagnose illness, which was not what it was ever designed for. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's kind of a blockbuster statement to make, especially considering that these tests have been used to keep us in lockdown. They've been used to raise the numbers, in my opinion, and make it to where everybody's living in fear. You are not living in fear. You are actually out there as, as a, not just an attorney, uh, but also as a small business owner, you've been out helping the community. Tell us a little bit about that. So I uh, have my own law firm here. I have five lawyers who work for me um, and 14 employees. So we're, we're a small business here. I'm a small business owner. And when the pandemic news first started and they started talking about shutting things down and we're lawyers, so you're closing the courts. Um, I was greatly worried about my own business and the security of my employees and how would I make sure that they were able to have an income. Uh, and I talked quite a bit with my uh, employees uh, about it. Um, and tried to keep open communication with them and, and under, have them understand my commitment that as long as I could pay the bills, I would keep them working because uh, we didn't know where this thing was headed. Now, we were one of the more fortunate businesses. As a law firm, we got the magic wand of government blessing that for some reason we're considered essential. Well, you know, other folks didn't get that same blessing. Um, so the, the, the arbitrary wand of government waved that we were deemed essential. So I was able to keep my business open, keep my employees working. And we weathered the, the economic storm fairly well. But I started seeing a lot of small businesses here in our community really, really struggling. Um, we represent here primarily family businesses, mostly small and medium-sized family businesses. A lot of them are businesses owned by immigrant families who came to the United States to chase the American dream. And they were losing everything. And I was horrified by this. Uh, so I started putting the word out in the community as our, it really started with our local uh, city code enforcement was going around and citing businesses for being open or violating restrictions, uh, during the governor's shutdown order. So I started representing nail salons and restaurants and other types of small businesses, um, to push back against these code enforcement citations. And I started getting the word out to people, don't pay the fine appeal. This is America. This is still, may not seem like it some days, but this is still the United States of America, and we have rights here. And one of those rights is the right of due process. And the government does not have the power to arbitrarily tell you you're breaking the law, pay us. They have to give you a hearing. They have to give you an opportunity to be heard. They have to produce evidence to support their accusations. And we decided that we would hold them to that obligation. So we began representing small businesses here for free, pro bono, um, and we started appealing these citations in uh, mass. As far as I know, we're the only law firm here locally um, that was doing this. Um, and uh, we've had a pretty successful track record on that. Fortunately, we had a change of administration here locally in Fresno. Uh, a new mayor took office 
in January who was a lot more receptive to the struggles of business and a lot more against the idea of lockdown as compared to like Los Angeles has been pretty bad. San Francisco has been very locked down. Uh, you know, we're lucky to be a little more conservative here in the San Joaquin Valley. And I think our mayor was, is listening. So I actually had a really productive Zoom call with our mayor and I showed him a lot of data on the lockdowns and the masks and how none of this really affects. The virus is a respiratory virus. And respiratory viruses do what respiratory viruses do, regardless of human intervention. You know, sometimes I think in our modern era, the problem is that we believe as human beings, we have the arrogance and the hubris to believe that we are in control. We are not in control. Nature is in control. God is in control. We are not in control. And we can wear all the masks we want. We can do all the social distancing we want. We can crush people's livelihoods if we want. But what we've seen over the last 15 months is that, you know, forgive me for being a little colloquial, but the virus is going to virus. And you see no correspondence in terms of results with the level of lockdown or the degree of mask wearing. The patterns go how they go. And it, there's no correlation to the policy whatsoever. And our mayor was receptive to that. And because of some internal structural issues and in how our government works here, he doesn't really have control to just direct code enforcement to let it go. But in the last couple of months, we've seen our local code enforcement um, drop a lot of the citations that we had outstanding. There were a couple of business owners here who have been very, very vocal publicly. So in my belief, they've been targeted more heavily for enforcement and harassment. And those citations are still outstanding, which we're still in the process of fighting. We have one case involving the uh, ABC, which is the alcohol beverage control, which controls liquor licensing. One of the businesses we represent actually stopped serving alcohol so as not to violate the terms of their liquor license. And we are in the process of litigating a case with ABC, where one of the really interesting questions from a lawyer standpoint is, what business does ABC have enforcing what's really a general public health rule, even if this, is, even if this rule is valid, which I think there's a lot of questions about that. This is not a rule related to the sale of alcohol. This is a rule. This is like, for example, if ABC walked into a restaurant in normal circumstances and said, you have a vermin problem in your kitchen. Well, that's not ABC's job. That's the public health department's job. Why is ABC enforcing these more broad rules? And our client has proof. He has receipts to show that he didn't sell any alcohol the day that ABC showed up. The officer lied and claimed that he saw people drinking alcohol on the premises. But again, there's no record of any alcohol being sold in this facility that day, and really for about three weeks in advance of when they showed up for their citation. So we're waiting for a decision on that case, and we're, we're hopeful that we'll be able to protect that business. Well, unless they were <clears throat> operating a speakeasy, <laughs> then then uh, sounds like you've got a pretty solid case there. Um, we have the arrogance and the hubris to think that we're in control. I'm going to steal that line because that is, uh, that is very well said. Um, and it is so, so true. What, obviously <clears throat> the easy answer to my next question is get a, get an attorney, right? Um, and especially an attorney who's willing to help out, um, and understand situations and has experience in these things. That's the, the preface. The question is, what should people do? Uh, let's say they're, whether it's from a, their business or, you know, they've been involved with other, other aspects of breaking the code or breaking the mandate or getting caught up in some sort of legal or fine battle when it comes to COVID-19. Um, is there a blanket response? Should everybody fight it every time? I think so. 
One of the things that government depends upon in a lot of different ways is our cooperation. So I started my career as an attorney, as a public defender. And one of the things that I learned early on as a public defender is how much control we had in the courthouse. If every one of our clients pled not guilty and every one of our clients demanded their right to a jury trial, the court system would shut down because it doesn't have the capacity to handle that much volume. They have to have people engage in plea bargaining and you know, cooperative resolution of cases. And I've spent my whole career fighting with government agencies for businesses from OSHA to Department of Labor to the California Labor Commissioner, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, you name it. Um, and almost any government agency that enforces regulations on business, I've had fights with. And I've had this conversation with their representatives many times when they try to strong, us on, strong arm us into providing them records or other information that they want. And I always explain to them that, you know, cooperation is a two-way street. If we demanded in every single case that you all go get subpoenas, you'd spend your whole life processing subpoenas and you'd never get anything done. So they need cooperation in order for the wheels of the machine to keep moving. Well, this is a situation where it's time to throw some gravel into the wheels of that machine. So I would encourage any business owner, if they cite you, whether it's a local agency, a state agency, any sort of agency, if they take some sort of legal action against you, like a citation, make sure you understand what your rights are. There's usually a very thin amount of time to be able to appeal these things, but invoke your right to due process, file that appeal. They can't take your money and they can't enforce anything against you until they prove their case. Make them prove their case. If you can find a sympathetic attorney, find one. If you can't afford an attorney, there's somebody like myself out here who, like I said, I've been, the only thing I've asked these businesses to do and in, in, in cover in terms of cost in any of these cases uh, is to, uh, locally, we have a $75 filing fee when you apply, when you file one of these citations. And I've asked the businesses to pay that filing fee, but all of their legal services have been free. Um, I've got a great network of people who have been willing to help. I've gotten connected. Uh, you know, this is one of the wonders of this time we live in with the internet. I've gotten connected through the internet. You know, there are a lot of, as you know, because you're in it, there's a lot of alternative media now. In fact, I heard somebody say the other day, we live in a time where there's actually more freedom of the press than ever before, because it used to be the, the FCC controlled licenses. And that was the only way to get out to people. So you had Walter Cronkite and a couple of others. And that was it. Now we have outlets like yours. There are so many different ways for people to get information and connect with each other. And I've connected with lawyers and um, epidemiologists and data people all over the world. So I've got expert witnesses. And again, you got to use what is out there to your advantage. They're doing all of this by Zoom trials. So I can call expert witnesses from anywhere and they don't have to leave their house. So I've got expert witnesses who are willing to testify as to the, the problems with the PCR test that I, that I mentioned earlier to the problems with the basis for all of this policy. Now, in a lot of these cases, we don't even have to go that far. Your average local code enforcement is a pretty bumbling agency. They're not used to being challenged. They're very used to giving citations to people to clean up graffiti. You know, they're not, I don't think the one in Fresno here had done it. I don't know if they'd ever done any hearings. It took them so long to get to the first hearing because they couldn't figure out how to do a hearing on Zoom because they were shocked. Nobody was fighting them before. And all of a sudden we start filing appeals and they're like, wait, what? what, what? We, we, we have to give people a hearing? Oh, man, how are we going to do that? So make them do their job. If they want to take money, your hard-earned money out of your pocket, make them do your job, their job. If they want to close your, your business, make them do their job. 
uh, and there are people out there like myself who will help. That's great. <clears throat> Pardon me. You got me all choked up because I'm thinking about all the all the people that we can help right now. I'm on with Anthony Raimondo with Raimondo and Associates out here in California. The PCR tests. Is there, do you foresee anything that can be used with this data? You've talked about having experts that can testify. You've talked to everybody from epidemiologists to other attorneys, people that are out there. Number one, have you seen any examples where where people have been able to fight based upon the, the very premise behind the, the lockdowns. Because again, you know, when it comes down to it, you, you can make a clear case to lock down nursing homes. You can't really make a clear case to lock down yeah, restaurants, for example. Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of the data that's been coming out has demonstrated that lockdown, no lockdown, you know, uh, um, six feet, eight feet, 10 feet, no feet, doesn't seem to really make a difference. And um, yeah, especially when you look at Texas, who's now completely not locked down and yet their numbers are going down. You compare them to Michigan that's completely locked down and their numbers are going up. So you go, go figure, huh? So, so the question is this information that you have regarding the PCR tests, can that be used to fight these legal battles or any other battles? Yeah, I haven't seen successful battles fought in the United States, but we're seeing some cracks in the foundation elsewhere in the world. In November of 2020, an appeals court in Portugal threw out all of their government policies that were based on the PCR test. For the reasons that I described, they found that the PCR test was entirely unreliable as a diagnostic tool, that a positive PCR test doesn't mean that a person is sick. It doesn't mean that a person is contagious. See, the way that this PCR test works is it takes a sample and it essentially, I'm giving you a very layman's mm. simplified version of this, but essentially they're spinning this sample to concentrate particles that are within the sample. And the more cycles that you go through, the more purified these little fragments become. And again, Kerry Mullins, there's great videos of him online if you ever want to go down a rabbit hole of him talking about this process. And he said, when you start working with PCR, which he invented, Again, one of our great tragedies is that Terry Mullins died in 2019. If he was here today, we would be in a much different situation. Um, but he, uh, he said that this understanding how PCR works makes you buy into the Buddhist notion that, that everything is in everything else. Because if I go through enough cycles, I can find almost anything in anything. And um, I can't remember what country, I think it was Tanzania. They found COVID in a piece of fruit. Mm -hmm because they just kept testing it and it, it, it ended up. So it's picking up fragments. It's so sensitive that if you run enough cycles, it's picking up fragments of virus that could be from old infection, fragments that might be say in your nose, but in not in sufficient quantity to make you sick and certainly not in sufficient quantity where you're going to infect someone else. It picks up dead virus. That's not going to infect someone else. And it can't tell the difference between any of that, especially most of our states were running the PCR test at somewhere between 35 uh, to 40 cycle thresholds, which um, some of them were even running it above 40, 40 to 50. And even these so-called experts who have duped us into this madness, the Fauci's of the world, admit that at above about 20 to 25 cycles, it's, a positive test doesn't tell you anything about whether someone's sick or whether someone's infectious. So we have this massively inflated sense of cases 
and deaths. We have incorrect data that this is all being based on. And the, the, the Portuguese court said, no, we're not, this is not appropriate as a foundation for public policy. And then early this year, uh, Vienna, Austria administrative court um, came to the same, same conclusion and they cited a bunch of scientific studies. I mean, one of the things you got to keep in mind here, you have to use common sense as well. And, you know, that's been greatly lacking over about the last 15 months or so, or maybe a little longer than that. But if you remember back to the, 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 the long ago days of spring of 2020, remember how fast they came out with this test? We were told this was this novel virus that no one had ever seen before. And right away they had a test for it. How could that be? If we've never seen it before, we don't understand it. How could we have a test for it so quickly? And the answer is because PCR was already here and it's not a test. And the original paper that, that was the springboard, the original scientific paper that was the springboard for PCR to be used as it's been used during this pandemic has been widely discredited by a large number of epidemiologists. And there are all over the world, some of the most esteemed public health experts and epidemiologists have been speaking out against lockdowns. They've been speaking out against the use of the PCR test. But of course, what ends up happening is, has been happening in a lot of areas of our society now, dissenting voices get suppressed. If, you know how that works, there's a, <laughs> and with some, you, you, you have to keep in mind, I think, the reality of this lockdown policy and the use of this PCR test. We have politicians of both parties all across the spectrum who have gone all in on this PCR data this lockdown strategy, this masking strategy. There might have been a point last year where they could have come out and said, you know what? We were very frightened. We didn't know much at the beginning. So we reacted aggressively to protect your safety. The good news is, everybody, that the virus is not as dangerous as we thought it was. It's primarily targeting the elderly. And the average age of death now for the virus in the United States is 78.6 years old. The average life expectancy in the United States is 78.6 years old. In Spanish flu in comparison, which they love to keep using as a comparison, the average age of death from the Spanish flu in 1918 was in, the, in your mid-20s. That was a pandemic. That was a dangerous virus. And in fact, you know, a lot of it was due to limited medical technology back then. But what we're dealing with here is public officials that went all in with this and they didn't back out of the corner when they still had the opportunity to do so. So what do you do now if you are a politician? Let's say you're Governor Newsom. How do you come out to the public after the destruction and havoc that has been wreaked on our society? Not long ago, I was down in Los Angeles uh, for a visit uh, and I stayed near Hollywood. I grew up in the LA area and I spent a lot of time in the, the early 90s when I was in my 20s in and around Hollywood. And I took my dog out and walked on Hollywood Boulevard. And it was horrifying to see all the boarded up stores and the empty streets. It's, it's, it, the loss of human prosperity is just, it's so saddening. It's, and it was needless. So how does Governor Newsom come out now and say, guys, hey, guess what? You know what? That whole thing I tortured you with for the last year? Man, it turns out we didn't need to do that. He can't. He would be immediately removed from office and probably appropriately prosecuted and put in prison. So now they're stuck with this narrative. And that's why you don't see the mainstream media covering the Portugal Court of Appeal decision. You don't see the mainstream media covering the Vienna 
court decision. You see the scientists who are questioning the validity of the PCR test and the basis of all of this lockdown policy being discredited and called conspiracy theorists. Uh, you know, people from places like Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, like we're not talking about people who are like quacks working in a street corner clinic. We're talking about people who are some of the most esteemed people in their field saying this is wrong. The whole idea of lockdown was rejected through all of epidemiological history, including, by the way, in both the CDC and WHO pandemic planning guidelines until 2019 was when they changed it. But before that, they had considered the idea and rejected it as too destructive for society. That, you know, that there was a, a scientist who led the effort to defeat smallpox. And there's some great writings by him where he talked about how a society functions best when you do everything you can to maintain its normal functioning. You know, we often think back to the, the days of World War II and how leaders like Winston Churchill and FDR tried to convince people that we needed to maintain normalcy as much as possible, right? What happened to the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That got transformed into hide in your home and be afraid. The cases are the worst metric of all. And cases are the one they love to focus on because cases don't tell you if somebody's infectious. They don't even tell you if somebody's sick. If you look into this data, the majority of people that they're calling cases are people who they love, you know, we're playing these word games now in our society, asymptomatic. You know what an asymptomatic person is? A healthy person, a person who isn't sick. And before 2020, if you were walking around the streets and you, and you had no symptoms, you weren't coughing, you weren't sneezing, you didn't have a fever, you were asymptomatic, we would say, JD's not sick. JD's healthy. Instead, now we have, you're a case based on a test that's overly sensitive and unreliable. The WHO very quietly in December issued some revised guidelines on the use of PCR. And I believe that one of the reasons we're seeing case numbers drop in most parts of the world now is because they sort of reminded people that they need to follow the directions very closely on the test. And it's indicated that reducing the cycle threshold of the test would be appropriate. We don't see much reporting on the cycle threshold. It's very difficult to get that information. But I believe that in a lot of places, they're dialing back the cycle threshold. And as they reduce the cycle threshold on the test, they're getting less positives. The idea of zero COVID, which you see being promoted in a lot of places, is not reality. If I had told you before 2020, my goal is to have a world with zero flu, you would have laughed in my face. We've had flu for millions of years. It's not going away. And coronavirus is not as novel as we would like to think. This is a variation of a family of viruses that includes the common cold, that includes SARS-1. We've dealt with coronaviruses for thousands and thousands of years. It's not going away. It's never going to be zero. They just keep moving the goalposts. And by saying we have to have it be zero, that's a way that they continue to maintain this control. And they don't have to ever admit that they were wrong from the very beginning. And one of the questions I often ask people is, is it that hard to imagine a world in which what our leaders said when this started was, there's a virus. And if you're elderly, you need to be very careful about where you go and who you have contact with, because the virus is dangerous to you if you're elderly. If you have a serious health condition that affects your immune response or your respiratory health, 
you probably should avoid people for a while and you should probably be very careful where you go and avoid crowds and things like that. But the rest of you, what we need for you to do is be strong, be Americans, go to work, take care of your families, go to school, live life, persevere through adversity. And in that way, we can get through this thing together and then not go through the absolute insanity of the mass testing of healthy people. That's what we've been doing. Mass testing of healthy people looking for tiny little fragments of viral DNA. And if they show up, we call them a case and we drive public hysteria with that. The fact that we're engaging in mass testing of college students, I have a son who's in college. He's been tested, I don't even know how many times. They're in no danger. To a college student, this virus is less dangerous than the flu. Having them circulate with each other and spread the virus amongst each other to build their immunity is a heroic thing for them to do. We should look at those spring break revelers in Florida and say, thank you. Because again, the, for so, until the vaccines came out, the concept of herd immunity was like a dirty word. It was a conspiracy theory, even though it's a basic building block of epidemiology that we develop herd immunity in two ways. And the best way to do it is by natural infection, which gives us our strongest immunity, but also through the use of vaccines. So the idea that people who are at very, very low risk, you know, people who are under the age of 25 have almost zero risk of any serious illness from this virus. Again, less, less risk than flu by the data. Why would we suppress their activity? All we're doing is giving the virus more time to survive and delaying the inevitable herd immunity, which is how this works. We've dealt with respiratory viruses throughout human history. And how it inevitably works is the virus goes on an upward curve, immunity develops over time, and then the virus becomes endemic. It becomes something that we live with, like the flu. The, one of the worst years we ever had for hospitals in, in the US, in US history was 2018. You can actually, you Google 2018 flu hospital tents, there's articles from Time Magazine that will pop up about people being treated in parking lots in tents in hospitals because 2018 was a really, really bad flu year. And the hospitals were truly overwhelmed at that time. We didn't close all of society. We all didn't start dehumanizing each other by walking around in masks. And we certainly didn't walk down the street looking at our friends and neighbors saying, you're a vector of disease, stay away from me, and being afraid of each other. What we've done, not only economically, but I think what we've done to our social fabric is one of the worst crimes in human history in terms of how we've turned against each other and we treat each other, instead of treating each other as a human being that we can connect with, we treat each other as vectors of dangerous disease. A disease that for most of us is not very dangerous, that we can weather this storm and get through. And we've you know, we, we, we've gone to this insane place where we're destroying our economy, we're dehumanizing each other with the masks, and we're separating ourselves from each other. And then people wonder why we see violent crime on the rise. Well, you've taken away the economy, you took away church, you took away sports, you took away school, you took away musical performances, you took away all of the things that keep people sane, and then you wonder why they went crazy. It's madness, it's utter madness. And it's all, all of that policy comes back to this PCR test, which is a valid scientific methodology, but not as a diagnostic tool, not as a foundation for public health policy and tracking of disease. It's just not valid for that. 
and yet we've allowed it to be, and we, we continue in this fiction because we have leaders who don't want to admit that they may have made the worst public policy mistake of our time. I don't think it's a question of may. I think that they clearly did. Folks, listen up. I've got something crucial to share with you today. In this uncertain world, you need to be prepared for anything, especially when it comes to your health. That's where the wellness company comes in, offering you peace of mind in a box with their medical emergency kit. Picture this. You're faced with a medical emergency and you need quick, effective treatment. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit is like having a strategic arsenal of life-saving medications right at your fingertips. From proven treatments like ivermectin to generic Z-Packs and amoxicillin, this kit has got you covered. But that's not all. Every kit comes with a medical emergency guidebook, ensuring you have the knowledge to use these medications safely and effectively. It's like having a medical professional right there with you when you need it most. And here's the kicker. Use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health/ffn. That's right, folks. 10% off, peace of mind in a box. Don't wait until it's too late. Get your medical emergency kit today and be ready for whatever comes your way. Stay safe, stay prepared with a wellness company. Again, use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health/ffn. I mean, everything you said is spot on. Everything that you said is is irrefutable. Okay, we're not talking about opinions here. These are these are facts that we've learned, and the fact that those facts are being suppressed makes me concerned. And I'll I'll get to that here in one second. I do have that one final question for you, but before we get to it, two things. Number one, um, when can I have you back on? Because this is enthralling. Um, I'll get my people with your people. Let's get you back on Absolutely. very soon because this is the type of information that people need to hear. This is the type of information that our politicians need to hear. And uh, yeah, so let's let's double up on this, triple up if necessary. Number two, <coughs> like I said, you're choking me up. Number two, we need to get you on more of our shows on Freedom First Network. But then number three, <laughs> where do we find you? Because this is the... You know, people are going to want to talk to you, obviously, business owners in in uh, California, even before after the pandemic, before and after these lockdowns and everything like that. You've been you've been deeply um, engaged in labor law. And that seems to be in not just labor law in in many different things, discrimination, harassment, class action lawsuits. You and your associates have done quite a bit here. Um, So how do they how does somebody hire you? How do they get a hold of you? Um, the easiest way to reach me is through my office. My telephone number is area code 559-801-2226 is my cell phone. My office number is 559-432-3000. Uh, we have a website, www.raimondoassociates.com. And if they go to that website or they call the office and speak to my staff, we actually have an email list that they can get on where we send out updates um, we started this during um, the early days of COVID to get information out to business owners as it seemed like daily the, the rules were changing for how to operate your business. And so we've continued to expand that to other areas of legal developments in California. That's a free service and we're, we're happy to have folks sign up for that. Um, and 
people can either contact us through the website through my office number. Or I just, I give out my cell, my cell phone number to everybody. Cause I travel all the time. We have a statewide practice here. I represent a lot of family farmers. So I've got clients, you know, as far North as, you know, the Oregon border and as far South as El Central right on the Mexican border um, in terms of our agricultural work, but we cover every industry from agriculture to emergency medical services, to restaurants, to retail manufacturing, you name it, we, we do it. And um, in these days of technology, you don't have to pay to have somebody have a high rise in Century City. Uh, I'm here in beautiful Fresno, California on the ground floor with a view of McDonald's and Taco Bell. And that, that's, what, that, that's what my clients pay for. They don't pay for me to have a fancy high rise office. They pay to have great lawyers who care about their business and are willing to stand up and fight for them. And we'll stick our necks out for them if they need us to. That's wonderful. I've been on keto diet for a while. So um, I just had a flashback to Taco Bell. Such a, such a shame. Oh, well. So my final question for you, sir, is you're, I believe you're 100% correct that the vast majority of politicians, as well as doctors, academics, anybody who is heralding, you know, oh, shut it all down, close it all up, you know, go everybody run and hide. This is a major killer. They're going to, this is going to kill 2.2 million of us if we're lucky. You know, the, the, these people that were pushing this, the lockdowns, the face masks, the shutdown of schools, the, the things that, that clearly don't make sense, didn't make sense a year ago, still don't make sense today. Uh, they, I know that a lot of those people are, as you said, they just got in too deep, basically, and they, they don't have a way out without embarrassing themselves and potentially uh, exposing that they did a very, very poor job. But here's the thing. I do believe in the the honesty of many people, maybe not, uh, maybe many is too much, some people, and I would have imagined that somebody would have come out and exposed this by now. The fact that it really has, I mean, there are, obviously there's doctors speaking out and it's being suppressed. There's, there are uh, politicians who have said stuff, so I don't want to make it sound like it's blanket, but here's the thing, and this is where I get into a little bit of conspiracy stuff, but hey, you know, we have to, there's ever a time I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if anything could make me a conspiracy theorist, it's this, this whole strange situation. So my question, sir, is why else is this happening in your opinion? And maybe, maybe you don't have an answer. Maybe you don't know why, but I mean, Fauci, he's smart enough to know that he screwed up and yet he seems to be basking in the screw up and actually going further with it. You have people like Bill Gates who should be smart enough to know you have people, you know, I mean, everybody in the Biden administration, everybody in the Trump administration, you know, I don't want to focus on just on the left, even the right. So many people have embraced this concept of keep it locked down, keep it locked down, keep it locked down. Is there another reason that many people aren't talking about, or is it really just, they're just embarrassed and, and they don't want anybody to know that they were lying when they said that the emperor had his clothes on. Money and status are powerful motivators in the human psychology. And I think you especially see this with Fauci. 2020 was the greatest year of his life. And he doesn't want to let go of that celebrity. He loves being on TV. He loves having everybody talk to him. They're calling him America's doctor. They're writing children's books about him. Ego is a powerful motivator for human beings. Um, I think in the case of someone like Bill Gates, ego is a part of it, but money is a big part of it. 
Bill Gates has made many, many times over more money for being investing in the vaccine distribution network than he has from software. You know, he is deeply in bed with a lot of big pharmaceutical companies. I mean, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to Pfizer and Moderna. How much, you know, not to mention the fact that the testing companies, how much money do you think is being made from these testing companies? And, you know, I don't, I, I, I'll be candid with you. I'm not, I have friends who are very deep into the sort of anti-vaccine ideology even before all of this. And that's not really me. I think I'm a fairly, you know, mainstream in my attitudes toward that. I mean, my kids have gotten their vaccines. My, my wife is a public school teacher, so she has to get a series of vaccines to be able to work. And I'm not inherently opposed to vaccines. I am opposed to the mandatory imposition of vaccines that are not FDA approved and have not been fully tested and vetted. And I think, you know, people should have a right to choose whether or not they're going to take the vaccine and it should be between them and their doctor. I don't fault anybody who chooses to take the COVID vaccine, but I equally respect people who choose not to take the COVID vaccine because there's so much, there's so much unknown about these vaccines. But what is known is there is a tremendous amount of money at stake here. And the funny thing is we're supposed to trust these big pharmaceutical companies. When again, if we remember back to ancient history before COVID, they were prosecuting these pharmaceutical companies for creating the opioid epidemic. But now we're supposed to believe in their benevolence and that they're just doing this for the good of mankind. You know, it's been some, someone said to me the other day that COVID is the greatest marketing strategy for Pfizer that anybody could have ever devised. Pharmaceutical companies spend a lot of money on advertising. Every mainstream media outlet from CNN to Fox News to MSNBC, any of them of any political stripe, is receiving vast amounts of revenue from pharmaceutical advertising. And advertising in that conventional media is power. Facebook, tons of money from pharma. A lot of social media taking money. These big companies are taking money from pharmaceutical companies. Why wouldn't they do their bidding? And so I think a lot of this narrative has been driven towards the idea of a vaccine. And, you know, Fauci has been trying for many years, if you look back at his career, to get his own pandemic. You know, he tried it with H1N1. He tried it with the first SARS virus. Um, and it never really, really took hold. And in 2020, it finally worked. It finally took hold. And I think he enjoys the notoriety. I can't say for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's got, you know, given his many decades in uh, as a, a high-level government bureaucrat, I've got to believe he's got friends and allies in the pharmaceutical industry. But he found a very compliant and complicit media because of the money that they take from the pharmaceutical companies, because what has been the answer? The answer has been vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. They suppressed anything about hydroxychloroquine, for example, which very quietly studies have come out, you know, since all the frenzy about how Trump wants to kill everybody with hydroxychloroquine, you know, hydroxychloroquine has been in use for a long time. It's a very safe drug in the third world. In a lot of places they use it for malaria and it's an over-the-counter drug. You don't even need a prescription for it. That's how common it is and how safe it is. So it was never dangerous. You know, whether or not it worked for COVID, maybe we didn't know early on. But there have been some studies that indicate, and I don't know for sure, but there have been studies that indicate 
that hydroxychloroquine is an effective therapeutic for people who have COVID. Well, they don't want that because hydroxychloroquine is cheap. There's incredible data coming out about ivermectin as an effective therapeutic for COVID that nobody's talking about. Because again, ivermectin is a very cheap drug that's been around for a long time. And the other part of this that the conventional media does not report on that most people don't know, these vaccines that are out there now, the Pfizer, the Moderna, the Johnson & Johnson, the AstraZeneca, have what is called emergency use authorization from the FDA. One of the regulatory requirements for emergency use authorization for a vaccine is that there be no effective therapeutics that have already been approved. So if they acknowledge that hydroxychloroquine can treat this disease or ivermectin can treat this disease or you know, any other drug that's already out there can treat this disease, there goes your emergency youth authorization, use authorization, and they're waiting years to get these vaccines approved. And there's their money train out the door. Right. Wow. So, you know, it's the oldest story in human history, right? Three reasons why corruption happens. Money, status, and sex. And I haven't seen the sex in this one, but I sure see the money and status happening. <clears throat> I, I do want to have you back on, but let's not associate Dr. Anthony Fauci and sex ever again, because it's <laughs> not, not something I want ever, ever envisioned by Nobody any, wants to think about any that. of our guests, no, or any of our, our, uh, our listeners or, or viewers. Oh, wow. Amazing stuff. Anthony Raimondo uh, with Raimondo and Associates. It has been absolutely enthralling and enlightening. And again, we do need to have you on very soon. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Big Tech hates us. As of this recording, we've been banned by Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. And we've had numerous warnings from Facebook. But that's okay. They will not deter us from always focusing on the truth. We will not be beholden to the gaslighters and propagandists. So, where can you find us? Head over to Rumble, Brideon, BitChute, and other video channels, as well as networks like Gab, Parlor, and Minds. But the place where we can really use your help is on Locals. We need 1,000 followers on Locals so we can publish all our content there without limits. Please go to ffn.locals.com, that's foxtrotfoxtrotnovember.locals.com, and follow us. This will help us preserve our content and continue to tell the truth to the world. Thank you to all our listeners, and God bless. Hey, you're on with two mics, Dr. Michael Scheuer and Colonel Mike. I'm getting good at this. Doesn't it sound good, Mike? It sounds very good, yes. All yes. right, I got to put the speaker on, too. We're, anyway, we're, we're, we're listening. This is just going to be a quick knock report. Uh, Dr. Shore and I had a conversation with our friend Eddie Iranian live in Cairo today, and you'll see that up on the uh, knockreport.com and ffn.locals.com. And, you know, uh, we had a, uh, a schedule. Uh, I guess he got, he got up late. I don't know what happened, but uh, we, we were expecting to have uh, – uh, J.D. Rucker on with us on two mics, and he has never been on with the two mics at one time. But the two mics 
uh, the time we have him to come, the time we have him booked to come on, he's got another important uh, podcast he's doing. I don't know who it's with, but hopefully he'll call us back because we don't uh, really have openings till I think next month. Are we that booked, Mike? Oh yeah, we we're we're booked way in advance. We're worth our money. <laughs> anyway, if he calls in, we'll get we'll put him on. So me and Mike wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on. Mike, Mike, I gave I, I, I gave you an email today and you saw it. I wanted to know your opinion. There's a there's a good website. The guys are good. I got to check it out. I, I'll try to get the name the next time before we go on. But there's a pretty good YouTube guy, Christian guy. And uh, he had uh, he took a clip from Sidney Powell on some show. And Sidney Powell saying that uh, and it's not really good. I mean, I'm not happy about it. And I believe her. She's saying, Mike, that uh, Donald Trump really goofed up on that one, huh? Well, he certainly had the opportunity to do something. Whether the, the whole the whole business comes down to me, Colonel, on what the military is willing to do and when they're willing to do it. Uh, maybe they weren't willing at that time to back him because there was such a, a negative reaction to the idea that the that the um, election was fixed, mm-hmm. and Sydney's taken a lot of of, of crap too from uh, 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 the mayor of New York and his people. Mm-hmm. And so maybe she's a little more severe, or maybe she's exactly right. I don't know, but I know that <clears throat> I don't hear very much out there by anybody who who knows what's going on, or or when it's going to happen. And I know the the most accurate, consistent thing that I heard for three years prior to the election was QAnon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he hasn't broadcast at all since uh, uh, before the election. He went off so as not to be seen as interfering in it. Or, right. or them or however many there are or, or just him. I don't I really don't know the answer to that. But there's a lot, a lot of noise in the atmosphere at the moment. And one of the things it does, I'm afraid, is it. It takes the focus off of that moron Biden, uh, you know, and pretending or, or having people say, oh, well, they're all disorganized and nothing's going to happen and Biden's going to win the day and all of that stuff. Well, speaking of Biden, you know, uh, I pretty much I got off the uh, morning shows because it's, you know, the the right side morning shows, it's almost the same script that the CNN people or the left wing has. You know, they have a script of 10 stories or whatever. Uh, from the weekend, right? And you could put on WMAL in Washington or WJZE in Harrisonburg, Pennsylvania. It's the morning shows are all the same script. Did you see what happened on Stephanopoulos yesterday? Oh, no, tell me. You know, I don't even know, Mike, why these politicians. Colonel, I I have to tell you, I've never understood the Sunday morning stuff. Um, The only thing I like to watch was that fellow that came from Buffalo was I'm kind of a, a follower of people who come from Buffalo like me. Oh, Tim Russert. Tim Russert. I thought he was very good. He was very direct. He asked very hard questions. And um but otherwise the the rest of them are just it's just baloney. It goes over and over and again. Imagine sitting down for an hour or 90 minutes however it is to watch uh, Chris Wallace. <laughs> it's like sitting down for an hour and drinking vinegar. <laughs> and but you know these these republicans they just they're like sadists they love abuse they go on there and they get slapped around 
And what do you mean? Well, you know, what do you mean? No, no, that's not true. You know, Jake Tapper and all these, you know, and even the night shows. You remember when you were young, you had Johnny Carson and he'd have the, you know, the juggling monkey. And then he'd have like a, a celebrity or TV star, movie star. And then he'd have a guy who wants to break out in comedy or singing, yeah. right? He'd and have sometimes you'd nice, have Ronald Reagan. Yeah, you had very nice people on the show. Yeah. And Johnny, you know, Johnny had that uh, coffee mug that was loaded up with uh, Louis XIV cognac or whatever. <laughs> you know, he was flying in his seat. Remember, he used to grab his tie and juggle his tie a little bit. And then Ed McMahon, and Ed McMahon would give him the hi-o. That means we need another drink, you know, yeah. uh, commercial break. Hi-o, you know. And Doc Severinsen, I mean, whatever he smoked, it doesn't matter because the trumpet was really, really good. You had a real band. You know, now every night you turn on, I don't watch it, but you turn on at night. There's no jokes anymore. It's just a matter of like baby seals clapping. Did you hear what happened to Donald Trump? Oh, my. Uh, uh, uh. You know, it's, it's, and they were all stupid. You know, so, they were comedians. Yeah. They, were. They, they all hated Trump. And apparently they hated prosperity, low unemployment. Yeah. Uh, people coming out of poverty, no wars. Uh, you know, screw all of them. They let them let them live in their tiny little bubble, and when the time comes, we'll take care of them, Colonel. But you know what they hated about the prosperity that the average American was prospering, right? Yeah, and, yeah, it was and, the and, the middle, the lower middle, and the working class that had the biggest percentage increase in their pay. Right, and these yeah, guys, the people that the people that the Democrats hate the most, were doing better. Exactly. Right. And, and these guys at late night TV are worth 10 to 20 to 30 million dollars a year. And they're telling you about economics. Yeah. <laughs> they should spend a few bucks on talent lessons. <laughs> or to, or getting, you know, you remember the greatest guy with the comedian back in the day, you had uh, the Bob Hope and the Sid Caesar kind of guys. They had people writing good jokes for them. Yeah. I mean, they didn't get their own jokes, right? They had cue cards. I mean, that you're right, Mike. They should spend a few bucks and find out how to create some jokes. You yeah. know? Well, because the joke is watching them. There must be one good joke writer in America. Look at Biden. <laughs> every time he opens his mouth, he has everyone roaring. You know, I heard Mike. I read today that they they went in on the White House uh, website and deleted uh, two and a half million. Uh, thumbs down because there must be people out there who don't even listen to him, but just tune in when he's talking to give him a thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, and the website is not like official. It's kind of weird. It know? is. It's oh, all wanna, if you ever want to try something, I was going to send him a personal note from me that just basically told him to bugger off. But bef you, you hit the send a note button and then it interrogates you for about two pages. Where do you live? Where do you work? How old are you? What's your schooling level? This, that, and the other thing. And I thought, well, screw you. I can just go and put a thumbs down on anything he does. Well, the only way you could get a reply, I think, on that, Mike, is you put down a 14-year-old girl with blonde hair or good-smelling shampoo or something, you know? <laughs> it just, they're researching a candidate for Joe, you know? Yeah. Well, they, they'd show up at your door and the kid would be pushing his dad out of the way and his dad would be pushing back. It'd be, you know, Joe and Joe and Harper or Hunter or whatever his name is. Oh, speaking of Hunter, Mike, that's what this, this weekend show thing was about. 
apparently somebody had maybe been a 60 minute interview or somebody they did an interview and the, and the, the morning shows were talking about um this hunter interview and how dare they try to correct this or that you know the laptop thing and whatever you know his drug addiction or whatever and uh how they you know and i'm like are you really spending time on this are you really going to go over this we know what the laptop was we heard about it it was you know again it was bob Barr, bill Barr, bill Barr, going back to like nothing to see here yeah you know, he was he was the cop he was the french gendarme you know in casablanca blowing the whistle you know uh, there's gambling going on in here. You know, there's nothing to see here. No. It's it's it, it's just amazing. Sydney said it that that uh, Donald Trump never really had command of his judicial department. He never really operated it correctly. Oh, I think that's correct. I think he didn't have command at all in that. But he, uh, other places in the government too were the same way. The military, to some extent, was the same way. Uh-huh. Look how they fought him not to get out of Afghanistan. So she was saying it was all his advisors and all his, you know, handlers basically around him. And, you know, that's when, you know, you're getting old, Mike, you get a brain fart. Right. And I said, I bet you if I tell Dr. Schuer who said that, you're going to say Colonel Mike's been saying that. (laughs) (laughs) He's a, (laughs) I said, he, he should pick if he gets back, he should pick as his national security advisor, Rand Paul. And oh, see wow. if, if he can if he can crack the whip and get these animals in the, into uh, some sort of a human shape. It's just ter- and here's a guy that almost lost his life from yeah. people trying to kill him. You know, Steve Scalise, Rand Paul, all those guys that went out to play baseball. You know, and it's like nothing happened. It was just, hey, we dropped popcorn in the movie theater. It's no big yeah. deal. Yeah. You know, get the sweeper and pick it up. Yeah. And you know. This this Atlanta thing is going to come back to bite them in the ass so bad, you know. Um, oh, I you know, ever since I was old enough to know what baseball was, I listened religiously to the radio and, and the Yankees, especially like my dad. But I'll tell you, I'm not going to listen to any more games. I'm not going to check the the box scores. Who the hell do these pricks think they are? You know, legislature's job is a legislature's job. Their job is to play baseball for enormous amounts of money, which if they weren't making money playing baseball, they'd be cutting grass somewhere. Yeah. And it's it's it is a the the country has gone crazy And it. Baseball is a terrible thing. It's got a terrible commissioner and it's it's not a social justice organization. It's a sport and they're going to drive. Their core, at least, their core people away. But the worst of the worst are these companies that, that, uh, you know, support. Let's hit that. Let's hit that because um, I just saw a news report and it said Delta canceled 100 flights uh, due to COVID issues. And I laughed and I said, really? It had nothing to do with MLB? You know it had everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. I don't know how these people, you know, when we grew up, uh, businessmen were always, you know, didn't particularly like them, but they had a reputation for being smart. Mm -hmm. And now they run billion, multi-billion dollar companies, and their their idea of being smart is to be sympathetic to some uh, black clowns who burned up cities. You know, how smart is that? 
Well, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, it's a white guy too. And he said, you know, I grew up knowing, you know, how bad it is. I don't care what you think, Colonel Mike, but he says, you know, I'm I'm on the side of the black people because they were, you know, treated at least so harshly and all that. And I said, well, I'll agree with you, but was that during the Civil War? When was that post-Civil War? When did you grow up? And he says, no, he says, I'm in my 30s. I said, really? Oh, okay. Well, so, and Poole doesn't realize he lost a jo- uh, probably a couple of advancements in his career because they put people up there who weren't qualified by the quota system. That's all. So so he told me, you know, he he was taken for a Spanish person once and they called him a Puerto Rican. Another time they told him, that he he looked like a spick and he says i get it with the n-word and all that i said okay okay hold on young man uh i was a growing up and they they had about seven different slangs for my ethnic you know my race and my ethnicity uh and uh i can go down the list with you and you know i heard that since i was a little kid and things like that and i said you know it just hardens you you know it's like you go to combat it's good for you yeah and it's it makes you stronger. You don't go home. I didn't go home and wimp and say, what does this mean? Yeah. And, you know, what? I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. I was so young anyway. Yeah. You know well, I mean? the, the, the young blacks who are in the BLM and Antifa and the rest of it, they have no idea what it's about. They don't know how much better that life is than it was in, in 1920 for blacks, for Irish, for Italians, for Hungarians. Uh, they know nothing about their country, so they, nothing, they know nothing about themselves, really. They're prima donnas, Colonel. They're, they're exactly prima donnas. It. And what we've done is to create a situation which they can prosper. Because if if people were raised like you and I were raised, they would be, you know, if somebody called you something, you'd call it something back, you'd punch them in the face, or you'd walk away. And mm-hmm. and and life goes on. But now you get, you know, you get the the, the chief of Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines. You know, <laughs> Siding with arsonists and rapists and and illegal immigrants in the name of what? It's in the name of uh, misplaced sympathy and perhaps an idea that somehow these these wretched uh, BLM people and Antifa. Hello, Mike, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I just lost you. You said wretched and then I lost you. Yeah, these wretched people in BLM and Antifa and and in uh, their their young white uh, funders who, who, you know, what's really interesting about the white part of this movement is that if the movement succeeds and gets power, who dies first, Colonel? (laughs) All of these sympathetic simps in the white community, they're the ones, the the revolution will eat itself. Yes. And, and they, these people, because they don't know anything about the history of the world, will will be surprised when the alligator shows up at the door in the morning. <laughs> Before <laughs> they the eat their first, of, their first cup of soup song tea. With with the Amazon delivery box. With the Amazon, yes. <laughs> we, brought, <laughs> we brought a box to put you in. Well, I'm going to just say, don't forget for a second here. Don't forget. Hmm. Can you smell it? It's your favorite freshly ground coffee, brewing in your favorite cup. If you're anything like me or my family, coffee is essential for our mornings. And even more essential is good quality coffee. Well, Freedom First Coffee is our preferred choice. 
made from organically grown beans from Mexico and Peru that are then roasted here in the USA. So head on over to freedomfirstcoffee.com and choose our Founders Blend in medium or dark roast, ground or whole bean. That's freedomfirstcoffee.com. And make sure you use promo code NOC, that's N-O-Q, for 10% off your order. And if you really want to be a freedom lover, choose a monthly subscription so you will never be without your morning joe. Again, that's freedomfirstcoffee.com. 